Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Good morning, Fred. Well, we've made it to episode 50 of the podcast, and the idea from the start has been to tackle all of the significant issues and developments surrounding smart driving cars. And I think we've we've covered a lot of ground. Yes, we have, Fred. It's amazing. 50. Who would have thought? And there's plenty to talk about this week. Uh, first up, a report about Silicon Valley startup Drive AI. Uh, this month, it plans to begin a six-month test in Frisco, Texas, using self-driving Nissan NV200 vans. The fine print here, uh, the vehicles will be used in a geofenced area, it sounds like, and there will be safety drivers and remote operators. So uh, I guess you wouldn't call this a big breakthrough because companies like Waymo seem to be well ahead. Well, uh, it is a big breakthrough somewhat, uh, Fred, simply because it really highlights the amount of work one needs to do to really do this. You know, the, we've been talking about this. This is our 50th podcast and who knows how many smart driving car newsletters. Uh, but, and there's a lot of talk about uh, we are going to provide mobility as a service, uh, using driverless vehicles. And as you know, as you know, what we want to do is uh, make sure it's mobility for all, especially the mobility disadvantaged. And, and it's easy, it's so easy to say those things, but it is really a challenge to do it. And, and we know that it has to be done well. Uh, the the well piece is that it has to be safe. If it's not safe, forget about it. You know, uh, this isn't going to happen. Uh, and so to ensure uh, that safety, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that it's going to work. And so, um, yes, uh, we sort of know about all the hard work uh, that Waymo has been doing in, in um in, in Chandler and, and, and Phoenix, Arizona. And, 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 uh, we've tried to point it out as to the amount of hard work. I, I, I think that what Drive AI is, is doing in, there in Texas is again pointing out the enormous amount of hard work that needs to be done, uh, in preparation. Uh, in preparation, it's not going to be everywhere. It's going to be within an area, a geofenced area. That area might be big, small, or, into, or whatever, but it, it is substantial. And in the beginning, it is going to have attendance. It's not going to come out of the box without anybody in it. Uh, the, one is not going to take that risk, so one has to prepare for it. Um, on August 9th, I'll be up in Buffalo for the ribbon cutting of, of the Ollie uh, uh, demonstration by Local Motors uh, on the uh, University of Buffalo uh, uh, campus. And there again, uh, the preparation that's required to do that, those first rides and the first rides and the, and the, 
the first operation is uh, with drivers and not driverless, even though the vehicle is driverless. And so, um, so those are important preparations and things that need to be done. And we do those things for a while. Uh, we get used to it. We, um, we uh, develop the fact that, in fact, they are safe. And then uh, at some point, then as uh, Waymo is showing us in, in Arizona, then you can uh, just remove the driver and, and basically create um, uh, this utopia, and it is a utopia, uh, in which uh, one is providing mobility for all within a certain area. But if you're going to do it somewhere else, then you're going to have to do the heavy lifting and the hard work in preparation uh, to be able to do it. You just aren't going to be able to ride in the town and have it happen. Yeah, they have to take it step by step. Uh, another concern, and you highlighted in the newsletter, is that in in Washington, there's a move to ensure that, that there can still be lawsuits <laughs> regarding all of this. The, the legal profession, I guess, trying to protect itself, its ability to, to jump in. Well, that's that's an enormously self-serving uh, approach by them. Of course, they're going to do that. Um, I hope they're very successful in doing that because the, the more successful they are in doing that, the safer all these systems will be, the fewer uh, crashes there'll be, and the more unemployment there will be among those kinds of lawyers. Well, the town of Frisco uh, that we've been talking about with uh, with this Drive AI uh, program, they've got a population of about 170,000. Uh, they're about uh, less than half an hour north of Dallas. And they're also reportedly the site where Uber is planning to launch an air taxi service called Uber Elevate. So I guess the town is really trying to be at the forefront of whatever's going on here. Uh, great, and I hope that they'll have as much success with Uber Elevate. Uh, Uber should just try to stick to what they're doing with moving people on the ground and do that well because um, that's their best opportunity. But uh, we'll touch on that maybe a little bit later. Right. Well, in the meantime, Uber recently did announce that they're ending their self-driving truck program to focus on, on cars. And that comes after they'd spent something like $900 million, a little more than that, in a bid to create a line of self-driving freight trucks. I believe that includes the purchase of Auto, the startup, a, a couple of years back. Yes. And I think uh, that, that's, I think that's, that's a good decision by them. And they should maybe look to do the same thing with Elevate. Uh, but, uh, maybe the, maybe the, the business case is there. There is a business case for providing mobility to all, or at least, uh, many, many people believe in it. And to have that scale, uh, to a level that begins to approximate uh, the apparent uh, valuation of Uber, uh, Uber can only justify or reach that uh, if they're able to scale. Uh, scale and by meaning increase the customer, their customer base to serve the market that I believe exists for, which is uh, order magnitude greater than what they're serving now. 
and uh, for those customers to actually increase uh, the service to them and really provide them with not just mobility infrequently, but mobility essentially all the time. For them to scale in both of those directions, which again, I my opinion is that that's what they need to be valued at what they're currently claim they should be valued at. They, you can only really do that with driverless. Uh, you can't hire that many people hire. They don't even hire anybody. Uh, have that many gig workers um, uh, willing to go out and, and work for you uh, to serve your customers uh, at, at that intensity um, is, is just a tremendously difficult uh, task. And uh, the only way that I think to do it is to do it with automation and, and algorithms. Uh, then it's trivial. Uh, you don't have to pro provide enormous driver incentives to get a vehicle out to, to my house at 4 o'clock in the morning to take me to Newark Airport or to uh, serve um, uh, uh, ride-sharing during peak hours in peak direction. It's just all you have to do is program your algorithm to do it, and it will do it. And uh, that is uh, that is an enormously more efficient way to approach this, and maybe the only way to approach it and to do it. So uh, they really need to focus on on developing their own driverless cars. And as I've argued in the past. Um, nobody's going to sell them a driverless car because anybody who makes a driverless car will find it trivial to, to develop the algorithms to manage and operate them. Not trivial, but substantially easier than making the driverless car themselves. That they'll be able to uh, reap the productive value of that, of that driverless vehicle because it, its productive value is is to provide mobility, and that, that's where that's where the cash is. That's where the revenue is. That's where the profitability is. It's not in the selling of these things. It's in the operating of them. So anybody who builds one is going to operate it. Uh, they're not going to sell it. And so uh, for. Uh, Uber or anybody else uh, to think that they're going to operate these things, uh, the necessary condition is they're going to be that they uh, create them. And so uh, Uber better be get back into the business of creating a good one. Otherwise, um, I think uh, they're doomed. Well, you say that, but uh, Waymo doesn't actually build the vehicles. However, they do build a technology that goes into the vehicles to make them self-driving. Right. And, and I, I, please, I don't mean build the vehicle. Uh, they're not going to make the tires. But uh, what I mean by, the, by this is, is basically the, the sensor uh, intelligence computing uh, software algorithmic uh, package that basically uh, you uh, retrofit onto, uh, you know, four wheels or however many wheels these things are going to have. Uh, lots of other folks know how to know how to do those things, uh, uh, the, the four wheels and, and, and the vehicle. 
and uh, and those things are available in the marketplace. Uh, but the, the intelligence, uh, the the um, uh, the IP, and so on that goes into assembling uh, the sensors and and the information to have it truly be safe. Uh, that's the critical element, and that's uh, as I've said, is the goose that lays golden eggs, and nobody sells geese that lay golden eggs. They all keep them for themselves to harvest the eggs. Well, in the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter, Alan, you have a lot to say about Schaller Consulting's report titled The New Automobility, Lyft, Uber, and the Future of American Cities. And they're using NTS or National Transportation Statistics and data from companies like Uber and Lyft. And there are some key takeaways that you talk about here. Yeah, and, and the, the reason why this is so important is because uh, really the transportation network companies, as they're called, uh, they're, they call them ride-sharing companies, although they do very little ride-sharing, so they don't deserve to be called ride-sharing companies. Uh, they're ride-hailing, uh, but basically the Uber, Lyft, Didi's of this world are really precursors of autonomous taxis and, and, and driverless uh, mobility and mobility as a service. And, and they come at a very fortuitous time uh, that we can actually uh, begin to appreciate the, the value of, um, of having it be really easy for a system to know uh, what mobility uh, I would like to have and to be able to offer it in a very, very um, easy way, a pleasant way, uh, a way in which, in which a lot of the uncertainty associated with, uh, that's typically associated with mobility providers is basically taken away. I mean, the biggest uncertainty of a mobility provider has to do with reliability. When's the bus coming? When's the train coming? When's the plane coming? When at all? And so on. And we're just we we all are, we we all seem to be also anxious about the <clears throat> that kind of thing, where. <laughs> The, the, these uh, these companies have created this, these apps in which they've used, uh, you know, they've been really elegant in the providing of information to tell you, to let you know exactly uh, uh, what is going on. You just look and you can see the, the vehicle up, up, uh, arriving. Uh, you They give you information about who's in the vehicle, who the driver is. Uh, and, and, and just basically those things are all anxiety relief associated with taking them. And in, in, in that sense, what they, what they created by that is, is really they created a realization that people just want, uh, anxiety free mobility. And in fact, that's the fundamental thing that, that the personal automobile has given us is a great deal of anxiety-free mobility. It's sitting there. It's just waiting for us to turn the key or not push a button, I guess, and people push buttons today. Uh, I still turn the key, 
and, and ghost and, and go wherever we want to go. And, and the biggest anxiety we have is, is anxiety about, oh my goodness, there may be some congestion out there. Uh, they, that may cause us to, uh, have some uncertainty and, and about, about, uh, where we're going. And the other piece of it is, is, uh, oh, we might not know how to get there and we might get lost. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> I, I participated in, in, you know, development of co-pilot, turn-by-turn navigation systems. And what did I always say 20 years ago? The best thing about a, a turn-by-turn navigation system uh, was that it, it reduced uh, the a great deal of the anxiety associated with using your car. Why? Because you, you never have to worry about getting lost. You miss a turn, it just recalculates. Uh, you go someplace and, and you can always push home and it'll bring you home. I even said that the most valuable element of a turn-by-turn navigation system and the, the people that would prize it the most are people that never went anywhere. Because why didn't they go anywhere? Is The reason they didn't go anywhere was because of the anxiety associated with getting there. Afraid of getting lost, afraid of going who knows what, uh, afraid of not being able to get back home. And all of a sudden, if you have a turn-by-turn navigation system, you just put in your destination, boom, it, it just takes you there. And it, it it doesn't insult you when you make a turn. It just recomputes and, you know, okay, there's a different way to go. Let's go this way. And, and even better today with these, which was always part of those systems, was uh, we'll put real-time traffic information out there so as to give you an estimated time of arrival and, and tell you about the congestion ahead and find uh, the minimum distance, uh, minimum travel time or, or, or earliest arrival time or whatever route that you want. And to, to again, why were those valuable? They were anxiety relief. And so in a sense, what the, what the, uh, the ride-hailing companies are doing is they're providing through the, the great apps that they have anxiety-free mobility. And we're getting to see that, in fact, my goodness, um, this, this really delivers uh, mobility and mobility <clears throat> to almost everyone and, and how they're responding to it. And, and, Part of the best response, which is pointed out in, in the report, what I think is the best response, is that some of these uh, pe- people are using it when they when they go out and maybe want to enjoy dinner and, and enjoy some some um, adult beverages, and in fact, it, they they then use it to come home. That is an enormously valuable contribution to the society at large. Uh, because it's taking people that, that might have been driving off the roads, and that keeps all of us safer. And that is an enormous contribution. And so we're seeing that, it, and, and then providing mobility of getting people to hospitals or at places where, where they can't go make appointments that they wouldn't have made or wouldn't have followed up on. And this is enormously valuable. <clears throat> And so uh, what the report also points out is that some people are suggesting maybe they cause congestions on Manhattan streets. Well, 
geez, the congestion was already there, and most of it is caused by uh, by by people driving uh, their own car alone, as I like to call them. They're selfishly riding alone in their own cars. And so why aren't they being pointed at as causing some of that congestion? So there's a lot to discuss uh, with respect to the report. The report is a very good report. Uh, it does uh, use some of the, the data from the <coughs> Um, uh, from the, the, the survey, which is, it's, it's somewhat timely, but it's such a very, very small sample, um, that, that it means almost nothing on any particular trip. Um, it's good for maybe some, some summary, uh, 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 perspectives, uh, but when carved up, uh, to specific cities and specific demographics, it's way too small of a sample uh, to be meaningful. Um, it's really uh, challenging <clears throat> from a public sector point of view uh, to gather data. What the other wonderful element uh, that exists is that the uh, transportation network companies, uh, the DDs, Ubers, they have precise information on this, on every trip that they offer. They have information on where that trip comes from, very precisely, where it's going to, very precisely, the origin time, very precisely, and in fact, the path taken in travel from A to B. And that is so enormously valuable information. They also have information about the demographics of the person that, that's traveling. Uh, they should, of course, uh, not divulge any information about any particular person or any specific individual or any private information, but they're sitting there with a wealth of information about trips that real people make in real times during real days, and it would be so interesting if more of this report or a follow-on report deal precisely with uh, those individual trips. To what extent did uh, those trips, any one of them, um, have the opportunity to do, use the New York City subway system? Uh, to what extent are the, were uh, uh, public, uh, conventional public transit alternatives uh, really available? And for us to have uh, uh, substantive information about that, uh, then maybe some of the conclusions that are reached or some of the suggestions that are made in the report uh, could be better justified. But it seems as if that there have been some, some um, implications that have been made, especially the correlation of the increase in the ridership and the use of these systems. Uh, coming at the same time that there's been a decrease in the ridership in the New York City bus and, and the subway system. Uh, yes, uh, those two things occurred at, they say, at the same time. Are the two, uh, or is one causal of the other? Um, that has certainly not been substantiated by this report or anything else that I've seen as of yet.
And yet, uh, Alan, in New York City, uh, there's a move to put limits on the growth of uh, companies like Uber and Lyft. Companies are running ad campaigns to fight this, but uh, people love them, as you pointed out, because of the apps, and now perhaps they're uh, going to become victims of their well, own success. maybe, and, and yes, uh, things uh, that are successful are times overused, and so one put, put some limits. But, in fact, one should be very careful of, of the limits that are being placed and, and that they're being placed for the right reason. Uh, in Manhattan's a unique entity in the United States. And so uh, what happens in Manhattan uh, and, and really uh, isn't uh, that uh, important to what happens uh, anywhere else in the United States because it is so unique. Uh, in Manhattan, there is a, a very good subway system. It does operate 24-7, 365, fantastic. It is available essentially on demand. Uh, some people can complain about uh, whatever and whatever about it, but it does provide the mobility. So if you're, if you're coming from a point in Manhattan, going to a point in Manhattan, Sure, uh, there's a there's a pretty darn good mobility alternative available to you, and and most people use it. <laughs> That's why it's crowded, uh, so people do use it. Uh, but for a lot of other trips, it doesn't it doesn't cut it. It doesn't get it doesn't come from close enough from where you are to close enough to where you're going. Uh, so, you know, if you're in Brooklyn and whatever, sure, you're going to Midtown, yes. You're going to Lower Manhattan, of course. You're going somewhere else, who knows? And so the issue is, is that now these, uh, these companies can provide uh, that uh, mobility essentially from anywhere to anywhere to anybody. And that is really fantastic. So when you look at it and so on, the, the, the issues, they, they have to be looked at at the individual trip level. And it would be really nice if Uber and Lyft released data on their trips uh, at the same level of precision that the New York um, Taxi and Limousine Commission has been releasing now for, what, five years, uh, trips made in taxis. And uh, my students and I, we've analyzed those, and we've looked at the specifics of where they're coming from, going to, and alternatives with respect to mobility uh, opportunities. And, and the same needs to be done with respect to the uh, Uber and Lyft trips. Uh, but one has to wonder with respect to uh, the new uh, imposition of con uh, con potential uh, constraints on Uber and Lyft as to what the actual source of, of this uh, initiative is. Is it, the, is it really uh, the Taxi and Limousine Commission trying to save uh, some value uh, associated with medallions of taxis? Um, or, or something else. And, and why was the original uh, limit placed on medallions of, uh, of taxi cabs in New York? 
was it was it to in, ensure that there that the value of those medallions remained high? Was it to ensure that in fact there was enough uh, demand uh, for the service? Uh, so that uh, so that those drivers could earn a living wage, um, uh, maybe there are other ways to to encourage and to make sure that the drivers earn a living wage uh, and still offer uh, uh, great mobility uh, to this citizenry citizenry of New York. Uh, that's the objective. The objective is of mobility is to improve quality of life. The only reason we travel is to improve our quality of life. And and um, the travel by any individual is to improve his or her quality of life. And so to sit uh, to 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 um, try to limit that uh, really uh, limits quality of life to individuals. So New York uh, should be careful in terms of what it does here. Interesting. Now, ARS Technica reports Waymo is about to launch a pilot program to explore how self-driving cars can be used in combination with public transit. Uh, The Google self-driving car unit announced uh, just a few days ago. Uh, starting this month, employees of Valley Metro, the agency operating the Phoenix area's bus and, and light rail systems, they're going to be able to get Waymo rides to their nearest bus or light rail stop. As we pointed out with respect to the um, uh, the uh, Texas um, demonstration uh, program, uh, one needs to one needs to crawl before one walks, before one runs, and this is the beginning, and it, it's. I, Take it um, is a very good uh, effort by Waymo to say uh, yes. Um, transit uh, uh, is uh, or conventional transit is really part of the mobility opportunity uh, that that they they want to offer, and it, it places at times and, and circumstances uh, instead of taking somebody all the way to their destination. You take them to a transit stop, or instead of going all the way from where they are because they happen to be on a light rail line or on a bus line and right there to take the the existing system, take it. And then once let that system take you as close to your destination as possible, and then they'll be there to pick you up. And of course, that, that's the way these are going to operate. And it's it's great that uh, that uh, Waymo is uh, beginning a test to uh, seriously look at integration with uh, other forms of mobility. Look, the way people are using Uber and Lyft today is is in a multimodal transportation thing. They're taking them to the airport and from the airport. Okay, they're not as saying, "Hey, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get into Lyft at my house, and it's gonna take me all the way to Chicago." Uh, that's of course silly. Uh, take me to Newark, and uh, I'll use United to get to Chicago. Uh, um, and so the same thing can be done at a smaller scale in cities. 
And of course, that's what should be done, will be done, and, and is the right thing to do, and everybody's happy doing it. There's some news from Tesla to talk about. Uh, it's moving to use its own chip instead of those made by NVIDIA for self-driving capability. Uh, they're saying their chip uh, can handle 2,000 frames per second from the cameras that they use instead of other sensors. That's a big move it, by it Tesla. It is a big move. Uh, it, it comes at the time of uh, them giving their quarterly report to investors. So one has to, you know, put a little questioning on it as well as to whether or not this is more uh, fluff or whether uh, it really does have some um, solid uh, uh, underpinning. Uh, um, you know, 2,000 uh, frames a second. It depends what you're doing with those frames and what is going on and whatever. So that's, again, it's like uh, we've, we've driven uh, 8 million miles uh, driverlessly or whatever. You know, it, it, it depends what is going on. So there are a lot of details uh, in terms of those numbers that, that um, one has to question. What one also sort of has to question a little bit as to whether or not um, Tesla uh, should be uh, developing or that's the best use of, of Tesla talent is to uh, develop uh, their own chipsets and their own hardware for doing the computation um, where there are other companies that have a much broader base and much broader perspective uh, on, on that and can basically um, uh, out-invest them and, and one might suggest outperform them. Uh, but um, uh, the interesting thing about Tesla is that um, is that they're more about the technology than they are about uh, what the card looks like. And uh, so it's not just styling, of which they've had a very good styling, uh, but it's also in terms of the details of, of how it performs and and the um, and the technology behind that performance and so um, uh, one can see their interest in providing that their, their interest in providing um, the safety and the comfort and convenience associated with uh, with self-driving <laughs> um, they to me haven't demonstrated any interest in in uh, the driverless world of uh, providing mobility as a service and uh, providing uh, the going to the full extent of, um, of uh, automation such that uh, one can remove the, the driver uh, from the driving function. Um, they, they talked a little bit about, uh, oh my goodness, yes, you might be able to sleep and so on. Uh, but uh, and and therefore for for certain stretches, uh, but they haven't talked about this as providing mobility as a service out there, and to go that far with it. <clears throat> but this is another step in in that direction. Uh, uh, they've chosen to take it, um, and uh, and we'll see whether or not it really does pan out, uh, and whether or not they do have the the sufficient uh, depth 
and breadth uh, to be able to uh, compete uh, at uh, that level uh, uh, with respect to this particular piece of technology. We should point out, though, too, that NVIDIA's Danny Shapiro tells Wired that uh, his company's latest chips have capabilities pretty much equal to, to what Tesla has developed here. Finally, I want to mention one thing that uh, I know we, we've chatted about, uh, a report in NJ.com uh, about a move by a state legislator in New Jersey to change the way speed limits are set. He's introducing a bill uh, calling for limits to be set by impartial engineering studies uh, rather than what he says are politicians and, and bureaucrats. The, the point is that nobody's obeying speed limits as they are today, and maybe some engineers well, should get involved. Well, uh, yes, I, yes uh, that has been his focus. And uh, But, but what, what exists in, in New Jersey and what I think exists throughout the country, although you know, it's been, of course, a great bulk of my time right here in New Jersey, uh, is that... Uh, the rules of the road don't seem to be uh, obeyed anymore. Uh, and, um, and I guess that's fine. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it's really uh, makes uh, driving a challenge. It makes it much harder to drive because now as you drive, you don't know what speed to go uh, at. You, you don't know whether or not uh, you should be stopping or not stopping at a stop sign, um, uh, how many cars can go through after it's red, and how many cars should I wait to let go through before I hit on, the, hit on gas when I get a green, because who knows how many of them are coming through. And uh, in some sense, uh, pretty soon it'll be, you know, which side of the road we're driving on. I don't know. It's um, it's pretty much uh, getting to be a free-for-all out here. Now, maybe because there's, there's so much density and so many cars, it's not really a free-for-all. You can't really go that fast because there are too many cars. You really... Um, uh, have to stop at a stop sign because there are car cars coming all, all kinds of different ways. Uh, I don't know, but it, it's for, for a number of years, I've been calling for truth in transportation. It, it, if we're going to have these rules, if there's going to be a stop sign, does it really mean stop or does it just mean, hey, just make sure there's nobody coming? And as, if you're really sure there's nobody coming, it's okay to go and roll through. And therefore, they should be yield signs. Uh, what is the purpose of it? What's the purpose of a speed limit? I think we can all agree that in, in school zones, speed limits are really important. And we uh, hopefully nobody's violating them school zone. And in, uh, in my neighborhood in Princeton, it's 25 miles an hour. And uh, I don't, people shouldn't be violating that one. Why? Because there are people walking on the sidewalk and so on. It is a neighborhood street. It's not at some arterial and whatever where cars are zooming by. And, but with respect to some of these other ones, um, is is what is is fifty five really mean fifty five or not fifty five or sixty five or seventy five? What is it? And and 
So I think it's important for all of us in terms of just being able to to uh, make it easier for us to drive. When it comes to then us having uh, you know self driving or, or or driverless vehicles, my goodness, uh, it's really tough to write the algorithms that have to say, well, let's just kind of figure out what everybody else is doing and let's just do what everybody else is doing and. And since everybody else is doing, has a distribution of what they're doing, and that distribution has a great deal of variance and a great deal of breadth, what the heck should we be doing? And, and right, algorithms to do that, uh, am I going to be the jerk? We're, we're, one setting on the algorithm is to be the jerk on the road, and the other one is to be the uh, whatever on a Sunday, on a Sunday drive. Um, that makes it really tough. I don't know what the answer to that is. We 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 shouldn't enforce the rules so that to make driverless easier. We should enforce the rules so that people know what the heck they should be doing, as opposed to saying, "Well, uh, well I just want to misbehave today." I don't know. It's it's a mess out there. And on that note, that will wrap up this edition. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, on iTunes, Google Play, and more, even on your Amazon Alexa. Look for my tech reports at Textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for taking the time to listen.